All right. Today we've got Jean-Bernard Ide. Uh, Jean-Bernard, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure being with, with you today. All right. First question. Refresh your memory. What were you doing prior to INSEAD and what have you been up to for the last 20 years? So that's a short question, huh? so a short answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically, uh, yeah, probably some of you remember I'm half French, half Mexican. So before INSEAD, all this typical profile that uh, went uh, in different uh, country and places. So uh, I was working, um, started working in Mexico. Uh, and, uh, and and is that where you uh, grew up you know, in, in Mexico, or did you, you grow up between between both I, places? I between the two, between the two places. Okay. Uh, but but eventually I moved where when I was uh, eighteen, I did my undergrad studies in Mexico, so started working here while I was uh, work while I was studying, and then joined eventually uh, Salomon Brothers, which was this uh, U.S. investment bank that since has been you know merged into Citibank. So started in Mexico City and then went to New York. But to work for Latin America, so you know a, a lot of uh, traveling to the region and very embedded in the region, and and then I moved to do a rotation to the Paris office, uh, which you know I had ever worked in France in my life, so I wanted to to know what was that like, uh, and worked there for about a year and a half uh, uh, right before uh, joining INSEAD, and uh, and so since then you know uh, kind of uh, at INSEAD uh, was pretty clear that I wanted to um, move into private equity. So, um, so, so I did. I, I looked for a job at uh, when when we uh, finished INSEAD and, and started in Paris in a, in a small mid market fund. Um, and and the idea was, you know, spend a couple of years there, learn learn the trade because Europe was pretty uh, pretty competitive market. And then always wanted to come back to Latin America and Mexico where this industry was um, more in, in its infancy. But then you know you start this job, you're on a board, you're in the first company. You do your second investment, you're on the board again, you want to see how it plays out. And, you know, everything takes five years. No? So by the time you look back, you're already kind of a partner in your firm and been doing that for uh, nine years in France. And uh, and suddenly that was not the plan. No? So uh, so in 2012, I decided to move out of France and, and come back to uh, to Mexico. Uh, before before started, we go to, to yeah. you, you just brushed over nine years pretty quickly there. What, what, what yeah, kinds yeah, of to do a podcast what, in five minutes? No, but we got we got more time than that. Uh, tell us about to the extent you can. What, what were some of these uh, you know deals projects you did in uh, in France? Yeah, so so in France it was a it was a mid market private equity uh, fund where where we, you know we invested in control positions in in mid sized companies. So uh, companies you know with with revenues between. 30, 40 million euros and maybe 150. Um, and, and we were pretty generalist. So we did, you know, a lot of different things in different spaces, you know, retail, construction, industrial, uh, lodging. Um, but one deal in particular comes to mind, which was pretty fun because it was kind of a little bit out, outside the typical path. No? Um, in 2009, no, you probably all remember, it was this, uh, you know, deep, deep financial crisis and, you know, economic crisis. So deal flow was very difficult because nobody wanted to sell, right? The ones that had to sell were the ones that had no cash left. And, you know, it was a, a completely nightmare, not bloody. And, and those that, you know, could wait, uh, would, would wait. And, and so no deal flow. So we, we found an idea of uh, starting a company from scratch, which for private equity is not normal. But what we saw is the opportunity to, you know, these this camping, these campsites that are so famous in Europe, no? where a lot of people go to uh, spend their summer, uh, we, we identified that that industry was completely unconsolidated. So, you know, a lot of mom and shop, uh, mom and pop shops here and there, but no brand, no consolidation. So we teamed up with a great management team and started buying individual uh, campings and, and created a brand, uh, a, a big company. 
And so it was a lot of fun because, you know, the first days it was about, okay, what, what name should we put now? And what logo should the company have? And, you know, who's going to be the employee number three, no? And I started being kind of the CFO of the company because, you know, we were four at the beginning. And eventually, you know, we, we started growing uh, and we brought, uh, we brought in a complete management team. But so it was a lot of fun starting from scratch something and then seeing it grow. And, and you know, it, it's also a nice case study for private equity. There's a lot of, you know, sometimes bad press out there, no? And, and, but there's also great examples. And sometimes we don't speak a lot about the great examples. So this company started from scratch in 2009. When we sold it in, in 2015, it had six or seven campsites. And now it's been uh, through two other private equity funds. It's worth uh, north of uh, 600 million euros in the last uh, uh, buyout. Uh, and it owns uh, something around um, 60 campsites throughout Europe. No? So a great story about you know, uh, several funds going one after the other, uh, teaming up a great management team and doing this buy and build, uh, creating a brand and, and creating a consolidated business that is uh, actually thriving. And, um, and, and I've got some great memories, man, because, you know, when, when you buy these individual campsites, you can imagine how far you are from Solomon Brothers M&A in New York, right? <laughs> so you're dealing with, you know, self-made people that, you know, uh, created their business from scratch. Uh, they know how to count very fast, but forget about talking about a DCF or multiple valuation. Never heard of that. So, you know, you're back to basics. No, what's the replacement cost of the asset and how much should it be worth? And, and so the negotiations were absolutely amazing. I, I think I learned more buying uh, these companies that uh, what I ever did in, in investment banking. How many nights did you spend at the various campsites of this of this company? Many of them, many of them in due diligence. And I actually enjoyed it. I even took my, my family in law, which was not uh, so much accustomed to uh, sleeping in camping. I took them all and they had to travel uh, several weekends with me uh, for, uh, for due diligence. And I had <laughs> one of these stories, which was so funny. We were uh, evaluating a, a camping in the south of France, in the Mediterranean. And, uh, and so we're sitting there on, on the beachfront, you know, looking at, at the beachfront of the, the camping to see how much chalet we could uh, put there uh, as part of the, the revenue management. And suddenly, and so we're kind of, you know, in suits because it's, you know, it's, it's spring uh, and, and we just come off the plane. And suddenly there's a group of, you know, about 20 very old men and women that arrive, start taking off the clothes and suddenly they take off all the clothes, like literally everything and we're like whoa where are we what is this scene no and uh, and we were at the nudist uh, uh place that we haven't you know completely we didn't know about it and uh, and so suddenly we we're feeling a little bit too much dressed up now with our suits so uh some, and you already owned it. Yeah, so, so you, you you bought a nudist colony without realizing it no 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 that was due diligence so we were deep oh, due okay, okay we hadn't bought it and you know what eventually we bought it we say yeah no problem there's a taste for everyone and we should be you know inclusive uh, no, next time we'll just come, you know, a little bit less dressed, maybe not new, but less dressed for sure. That's, that's fantastic. That's, that's a good story. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you're, I, I think we were at the point where you, you realized you spent too long in Europe and wanted to get back to Mexico. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, so decided to, to move back and, and, you know, this is also pretty, pretty much typical of INSEAD uh, profile, right? Right. Where you move uh, geographies in private equity, you know, everybody was telling me, man, you're a partner in your fund in France. 
what are you going to do in Mexico? There, there's no way uh, you, you can switch, uh, you know, so far in your career. It's a local business based on local connections. Uh, very difficult no, to, to start again. Of course, when I came here to Mexico and, and sat with several private equity funds, everybody said, yeah, you're, it's interesting. You've got a lot of experience, but man, you, you, you have no connections here. You've been out of Latin America for 12 years. No? So, uh, so it was, you know, about taking a demotion. I, I went from partner to non-partner and, you know, make my, make my proof again. But I felt it was good. No, it was a good moment in time where, uh, you know, going into um, into the ring and start dancing again. No, I'm not being so comfortable sitting on. on, on Hold on, your let me toes. let me let me ask yeah. some questions about that. So, so you're did you have to divest at all from the previous fund, or or, or were you able to, to maintain some of the positions that no, in, I, in, I, in, I, I sold my shares in my in my previous okay. fund, but the fund continued okay. with the uh-huh. existing partners. But yeah, I had to kind of stop that. Um, that adventure, you had, you know, you had whatever the economics uh, as they're set. You know, you you may get something in the future when everything gets uh, sell, sold and, and round off. But but it was yeah, really about starting fresh uh, here in a new geography, and um, and so yeah. So and, I, and you, I, and you took a job at an existing fund, or you started your own thing in Mexico? No, I, I took a job at an existing fund because clearly, you know, mm-hmm. coming to a kind of a new geography, even though I'm I'm, I'm half Mexican, and I kind of worked in Mexico until uh, the year two thousand. Uh, we were already 12 years past that. So, you know, my, my business contacts were uh, much mm. less than what they used to be. So very, very, you know, I needed a structure to get back uh, on the saddle and, and kind of, uh, you know, make my, my, my turf. So I started with this uh, fund called Linzor Capital, which was um, a spin-off of JP Morgan Private Equity a couple of years uh, before that. A great team, uh, very seasoned. And across Latin America, so we had offices in Chile, uh, in Colombia and in Mexico, uh, great guys with super track record, and so yeah, very happy to join them. Even though you know, for me, it was kind of a little challenge, as as always. No, uh, I I heard in some of the podcasts of some of my fellow uh, uh, insiders that they were saying after Insead, I took a job that was you know much less uh, remunerated than the one I had before. But it was part <laughs> of you know making a change and taking some some risk. And and actually, I did that after Insead because the job I took was was paying less than the alternative, like going back to. To banking and and this time again no i had to kind of take a step back and say okay let's take some risks and let's see how it plays and uh, and eventually super happy man two two years after i became partner again uh, in the structure where i continue to uh, to work and uh, and and love the transition no? it was kind of uh, it's the same industry but it's so different when you change uh, geographies no in particular when you come to emerging markets you you have i know some experiences of, of coming down here and, and and doing things around here it's a totally uh, different trade, right? Uh, you've got to look out for everything. It's it's kind of the wild west sometimes, no? In terms of okay, can you uh, can you put a little more meat on that bone? Uh, like some examples of how it's different, you know, in, in Mexico versus France. Yeah, so so you know, here you start doing due diligence on a company, and you'll very easily find that they have a different set of books. Uh, you know, for all the cash movements that are coming in and out of the company. And suddenly you've got a different set of accountings. Uh, you know, not paying taxes is the national sport. So uh, you'll find <laughs> tax contingencies that are worth three times the value of the business. So if you don't do the calculation right and, and you don't get the right figures, uh, you can be in a very messy situation. Same thing with social employees. You know, they, they don't pay social taxes. So it's a lot about, uh, you know, checking in very detailed every corner of the company and making sure that you understand where you're uh, putting your 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 foot, and then making sure that you can negotiate a deal where you're going to have the representation and warranties, and you know from from kind of a seller, and and those are you know too too ugly. Just know how to pass on very quickly, you know, and not do, not doing them. So I remember in France, sometimes we did due diligence on a company. I don't know three four months, everything out of a data room. Um, 
and, and we're kind of doing preemptive deals for those deals that were known to be great deals and moving very fast. Here, it's, uh, you know, nine months of due diligence. You want to be sitting next to the CFO. You want to be extracting from the systems and from the ERP the information so you make sure that nothing, you know, is cooked in between and that you can really understand where you're setting foot on. And then you've got, you know, the, the once you've done the deal, normal life here is, is more complicated than normal life uh, uh, over in Europe, right? The, the, the competitors can be much more... Uh, aggressive in the way they do business. Uh, regula regulation can be messy, complicated. Uh, you know, the political um, uncertainty and, and kind of changes that we experience move a lot of things. So you, you've got, you know, to, to know how to um, withstand no, the, the storm and, and navigate uh, this time of waters. It makes it a lot of fun and, and you know, a great, great experiences, but, um, but it does require to... Uh, uh, to do things very differently, you know, with, with a, a kind of a different mindset. And, and at the end, for me, it was great because I always liked the part of the business where you were very close to the CEO and the management team operating the companies. And here in Latin America, it's much more common that, you know, private equity people would jump in and, you know, do stuff and work with the companies. Whereas in Europe, you, you tend to stand a little bit more uh, removed. And so, you know, did a couple of deals here that were very, very interesting. If you want, I can, I can give you one. one yeah, yeah, yeah. Give some example. examples. Well, I, I wanted, I had a, I had a question about, about the differences where um, I wonder, this is probably just a dumb American question, but that is there, are there concerns around like the rule of law and sort of the enforceability of contracts in, in a place like Mexico? Or is, is that, is that, uh, was that just a thing of the past? No, no, no. That's totally true. And it's a thing of the present. So, so basically mm -hmm. what we try to do is, um, we try to uh, structure our deals and sign our contracts under New York law uh, as much as we can so that we can relay on a law that is enforceable. It doesn't give you 100%. Um, uh, it doesn't solve 100% the problem because, uh, you know, a, a, a seller could always argue that he wants to bring this back to local uh, courts because it's a local matter. But as much as we can, we try to do that to get better enforceability. And it's a lot about structuring the deals. No? For example, we always have escrow accounts. Those escrows are always in the U.S. Uh, with cash in them. No? So, so because if you want to you know, get a compensation here through a court, uh, you, can, you can wait 10 years. No? If you have an escrow in New York, <laughs> uh, you can access that eventually. So, and, and you know what? It tells you also a lot about your counterpart. Those that are willing to do that are those that probably are, are pretty clean, right? Uh, those that are not willing, that's that's a good indication that you should probably yeah. not engage too much with them anyway. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. So uh, before we go, I'll give you some examples. But before we go in, have you been with this fund the whole time or have you bounced around yeah. a little in Mexico? Okay. No, no. I, okay. I got with this fund uh, the, the whole time. We're uh, raising our fund number four right now uh, and starting to deploy it. So uh, I joined them when they were investing their fund number two. Um, and uh, no, I, you know, I, I met my partners here. Great, great people. Very seasoned. Uh, share a lot of values, uh, do a lot of things on the ESG impact front, which is also super interesting because in this region, if you look at mid-market companies, it's nowhere on the agenda. So when 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 you put something on the agenda, you can really move the needle. So that's uh, another talk that's uh, that's interesting. And also my partners, I think we're, we're all in, in alignment in terms of we, we don't only want to do private equity to, to make returns. Also, for example, we'll stay away from these industries and companies that are great uh, investors platforms, but they don't have a positive spillover in the economy. No? So we, we are naturally aligned. We pass on these opportunities. And I think at the end, we're, we're happy that if you look at our portfolio of the last fund, the seven companies, they all have a direct impact in the in the community. No? And one example is, uh, for example, the, the we, we invested in an online university no? called uh, Utah, 
Uh, that online university was created in 2011 between Pearson, you know, the UK listed company, and a local family office that was very knowledgeable about education. Started up from scratch very early on. Nobody was talking about online education in 2011, much less so in Mexico. Uh, they break even in 2016 and we invested in 2017, taking a control position in the company and teaming up with the CEO and founder of the company. And, and that guy is, you know, a great visionary uh, Argentinian guy that moved to Mexico 20 years ago, that serial entrepreneur um, that had a great vision. And, and we knew a lot about education because had, we had invested uh, before that in other universities. And, and so suddenly this un online university that had 20,000 students in Mexico, basically by today we have about 110,000 students. So, you know, five, five years later. Uh, and we're present in, you know, almost every country in Latin America. We're selling and, and giving uh, undergraduate bachelor degrees and master's degrees to uh, probably the lower segment income population. Uh, and guess what? These are the people where the penetration of higher education is the lowest, right? If you look in Mexico, yeah. in the total workforce, about 19% of the population has a higher degree. So, you know, 81% is left on the side and they're left on the side because when they were 18, they couldn't study, they had to work. And then when they are 28 or 30, and eventually they're stabilized from an economic perspective, they want to study, but they can't afford, they can't afford a high tuition university and they don't have the time to go and sit on a bench because of the traffic jams that we have in Bogota or in Mexico City or in Lima, no? And so online is the, is the perfect response. Uh, we, we brought a product that's, you know, very affordable. It's about $100 per month. Um, Compared to what, what would it cost if they were at a, at a real university? Or what would it cost so, for example, the, the, the best university in Mexico, it costs probably $1,000 per month or even more, $1,500 <clears> per month. No? So it's a 15x more, difference, yeah, yeah. Uh, more or less. Uh, and, and it's a three-year degree. And, and what we track is the payback, right? So these guys, they, they, it's out of pocket. So they pay, you know, they, because they work most of the time uh, while they're studying. And then we can measure and basically, you know, their, their uh, uh, salary increase basically pays back the full tuition in about 24 months. So you've got, you know, this very direct and immediate payback from having the title versus not having it. In, in economies such as this ones, where penetration is low, so when you have a title, you can make a difference. Almost every one of the 110,000 students that we have, it's first generation. No? So it's people that, mm. it's the first people in the family that will achieve higher education. No? So, so that's, you know, great businesses because they're good financial businesses, but it's also, you know, good impact, no? Good impact for society. You're bringing a product that was not there, uh, that really unlocks a lot of value. And, and, and as always in Latin America, no? when you're capable of going out with products that go after the larger chunk of the population, which are the lower income segments, with something that is affordable, of good quality, uh, you find a lot of impact and you also find a lot of growth. No? We have an NPS, super high NPS. And in education, I've been looking at a lot of universities. Normally, students are very harsh when they rate their own university. You know? NPS tend to be in the mid-30s, 20s. We have NPS in the 60s or 70s. So, so it's nice no? when, when you come up with kind of this uh, equilibrium no? in service, price, quality, and, and things start to grow. No? We're even in the U.S., servicing the Hispanic community in the U.S., and we recently launched our programs in English uh, for the second generation uh, of immigrants oh. in the U.S. that want to have uh, more in English education, but at an affordable price. And we have an equivalency for the U.S. where our undergrads are recognized in the U.S. And we now just started to incubate some students in Indonesia and Vietnam. And, and remember, to mm. all this population, I'm selling Mexican 
on, uh, undergrad bachelor degrees. So what you get is a Mexican bachelor degree. No? So, so it, it is kind of pretty uh, interesting to see that uh, education can eventually be exported when, when it uh, hits right the price, the quality, and, and, uh, and the experience, right? That's very cool. That's, that's inspiring. What, what, what else have you guys uh, done? So we've done um, a financial institution. We go, for example, in Mexico, we have a huge uh, asset-backed lending company that goes after the unbanked uh, medium segment company market. So a lot of medium-sized companies, they're non-banked in Mexico. Banks won't lend to them because you know mm -hmm. there, there's too much fraud going on and they're, they're uneasy with that. So these people, they have to find themselves with only equity and cash flows. So we, we have like an asset-backed lending. So we only lend on a very real asset and we own the asset eventually. So if you don't pay me, I'll take the asset back. That allows me to lend to SMEs that otherwise would not be uh, lending um, to. Um, mm -hmm. So that's pretty nice also growing fast. We have uh, also a couple of, um, we, we had a, a, a telecom fiber optics company in Chile, also super interesting. You know, you had this big incumbent sitting uh, on the market with the older technology, uh, HFC and DSL, charging very uh, important ARPUs and getting 40% EBDA margins. We came in with fiber optics. We underpriced 30% the market, internet only, took out all the TV, pay TV, which is very expensive, and went out for the middle and lower income segments in secondary cities of Chile, where they had no alternative. And suddenly we were offering them 200 megas for 20% or 30% uh, less than what they pay to the incumbents. No? And in two years, uh, we multiplied by three the size of the company. We went from uh, you know, 1 million home pass to uh, 3 million home pass. There are 6 million homes in Chile. So uh, moved all the market and eventually all the competitors had to bring down their prices 20 mm. to 30% to compete against us. And we sold the company to a global private equity fund dedicated to telecom infrastructure. No? And we've got also healthcare deals and, and a software and technology deal, but most of them with the same ideas. No? Let, let's get a nice product, a little cheaper, and go after the, the mass market with something they, they're, they're not getting uh, at the right price and the right value. That's fantastic. The, the, the rare uh, uh, private equity guy with a heart. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> no, no, please. You, uh, we're, we're not all private equity is evil. That's why we have to tell more the good stories because what you read on the news is always the bad ones, no? <laughs> Almost never the good ones. Yes, yes. Well, I was hoping you were you were you were laughing there. Say, oh no, no, I don't have a heart. Don't worry. This this is I'm, I'm still the I'm still on brand. Hey, la la last question. Uh, with where you are professionally, personally, is there anything that 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 we as the community can do? To, to help you and, and vice versa? What is it that you're able to, uh, to, to provide? Yeah, the, the community, you know, right now, Latin America, because it has had a lot of political turmoil and, uh, and uh, because it's a volatile region, uh, about uh, 10 years ago, everybody wanted to invest in Latin America no? and we were getting too much, much more money than what we needed. And now we're going in the um, other cycle. No? Very few people are willing to invest. Uh, people uh, got scared or, or don't know enough the region. Uh, and so right now we need to attract more capital from, from outside, showing that there are these great opportunities, you know, how to navigate uh, locally the cycles and, and the economy. And, and there's, you know, a bad press for, because of many funds that did uh, a very poor performance. And that would be the uh, issue of another podcast to explain that. Uh, but, but the result is, you know, the kind of the overall returns are not that good. But that doesn't mean that there's not many funds that are doing very very good thing. So I think we need yeah, to bring more attention. And this is about also vintages, right? This is a great moment to invest because 
basically there's not so much money coming in and so that gives great opportunities and what i can give back to the community is kind of the the other way around no i've developed over 20 years uh, uh, a little bit of experience investing in, in companies and in different sectors uh, as the one who mentioned so you know everybody in the community that wants to uh, brainstorm because they're looking to invest or they're looking to build or to grow and and that touches upon education financial services telecom uh, healthcare or software and technology uh, again, uh, with my two cents, uh, super happy to engage, brainstorm, and and if we find any similarities and I can share any experiences that are relevant, uh, always super happy to do it. And of course, if anybody comes to Mexico, happy to uh, give them a mezcal and tacos tour, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, mm -hmm. I have pending with you in particular because you're you're so. Well, we'll definitely be doing that. Hold on, but let, let's back up there a second. Did I hear you say your 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 fund is raising right now? Yeah, uh, right what, what's what's the uh, let's let's be let's be obnoxious. What's what kind of what's the minimum check size you're looking for? So you know, normally we, normally we go after institutional investors, uh, but, okay. but I, we we can take uh, some physical uh, persons if I, if I know them, and, and this community by by definition uh, is in that bucket. Uh, so we can go down to probably two three million, maybe one million. Uh, more, more, um, you know, be, because there's a. Prior... Are we talking pesos or pesos or dollars here? No, no, dollars, dollars. Pesos. <laughs> we're, right, we're right, fund, by the way, we're a dollar fund, man. So we, we invest right. in dollars and we give our returns in dollars. So yeah, <laughs> it's meant to be for qualified investors, right? You know, okay. it's not because okay. because we do buyouts, right? We buy large companies, we buy control positions, and then we grow. We're not in the VC space writing sometimes smaller checks, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, well, thank, thanks for sharing a number. And thank you very much for, for the time. This has been really, really interesting. So, and if anybody uh, is, in, is in Mexico City, they, they need to look you up. Absolutely. It was great catching up, uh, Joey. And I don't know who's uh, going to make uh, your podcast, but uh, you, you have to have yours uh, oh, up there also. Right. Well, there's, there's many more interesting people to talk to before, no, before no, no, that no. happens. Uh, you're too <laughs> humble. Well, we'll get to it. Thank you. you. Thank you, Joey. All Jamie. right. Bye-bye.